scripture today, Luke chapter 16. Go right ahead. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. She said six years ago today, the Lord saved her. Isn't that great? I don't ever forget the day he saved me. Don't want to ever forget it. Don't want to ever get over it. And I praise the Lord that I'm saved. Last Sunday morning, I brought a message about heaven. This morning, I want us to look at the opposite end of eternity. And I want us to look at a very familiar story in the Bible and a very familiar passage that talks about the opposite end of eternity. And as I look at it today, I want us to, if I give it a thought, it would be this, and I'll explain the thought. In Luke 16, Jesus was not talking about a town in Michigan. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of his word. And I'll explain that in just a moment. If you're from Michigan, don't be offended as of yet. Just hold on a minute. I'm not insinuating anything by that. Amen. But I want you to look at this familiar story. It is often called a parable, but in actuality, it is not a parable. It is a story that our Lord told. I believe this about parables. A parable, the word parable itself means to lay alongside. And the ideal is of an illustration that is laid alongside a truth in order to let light in on that truth. And like when I share illustration or something, it is to uh, help shed a little light or uh, just to uh, affirm what I have said and so forth like that. But I believe this. Our Lord existed from eternity past, never had a beginning. I don't believe our Lord just made up stories in order to illustrate truth. In my opinion, every parable that our Lord told was based on a true story. So it doesn't matter whether it's a parable or not, but it's a story that our Lord gave, but he talks about a certain rich man. Verse 19, Luke chapter 16, you're familiar with it. The Bible said there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. 
And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray this morning, and we'll look at this passage. And I'll remind you that what Jesus is talking about is not about a town or a place in Michigan. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, you do deserve all of the glory. And Father, we do not want to rob you of one iota of your glory. For that reason, we come now, ask that the Spirit of God might crucify this flesh. For I know this flesh that it would rob you of all the glory. But we want you to be glorified. We want to be a vessel that you can use. And so we ask you now that the Spirit of God might crucify us, that we be totally dead to self, and that Christ would work in us and through us and live in us today in a special way. Father, now open every heart to the truth of your word, this familiar story. I ask you, Lord, that with freshness you would bring it to our attention today. And I pray that you would open hearts and make hearts receptive to everything that we have to consider. I need you. I seek you. I ask you now to take control of all that I say and do, for it is in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. I'm sure that all of you at some time or another have seen the CBS Morning Show. On October the 29th, 1999, the CBS Morning Show went to hell. A headline in the Detroit News, November the 3rd, 1999, read, Businessman Sees Hell as a Tourist Site. A headline in the Chicago Tribune, October the 29th, 2000, read, Saints and Sinners Can All Go to Hell. On January the 7th, 2001, a headline in the Detroit News read, Almost Cold Enough to Freeze Hell. And the article that followed read, the deep freeze that hit the nation in recent weeks and buried several states in an unending wave of snow had one more odd effect. Hell almost froze over. Now, what all these media sources are referring to or were referring to is a small town between Detroit and Lansing, Lansing Michigan that is called Hell. In fact, I have a picture I'll put up on the screen of a little sign as you go into hell and the little road you turn off to go into this town. It is a small town of just a few hundred residents that is capitalized off of its name. If you were traveling down M36, you would see a huge billboard that is visible to travelers going westbound that was put there by the Chamber of Commerce, and the sign suggests that you go to hell. The town gets calls throughout the year from television and newspaper weather reporters to find out if their town is truly hotter or colder than hell. Every year in April, hundreds of southeast Michigans converge on this little town to mail their tax returns so that they bear the postmark from hell. Each year, the town hosts the Run Through Hell Marathon, and the Blessed in Hell, which is an annual blessing ceremony for motorcycle riders and their bikes. There is a website on the internet called, uh, entitled Hell to You, that is Hell, the letter two, number two, and the letter U, where souvenirs can be ordered and all kinds of things can be ordered from hell. 
One article about the little town read, tucked away as it is amidst the hills, the creeks, and the rivers, hell maintains a strange combination of notoriety and attraction. People come to visit, to see hell, to say they have been to hell and back. How the town got its name seems to date back to 1841 and to a man by the name of George Rees, who among anyone else was responsible for the founding of the town. And the story goes that someone asked him what the town should be named. And Rees reportedly replied, I don't care, you can name it hell if you want to, and the name stuck. Well, I want to say today that in Luke chapter 16, that when Jesus was talking about hell, he was not talking about a little town in the state of Michigan. In fact, what Jesus was talking about and the hell that Jesus was talking about is no joking matter. And it's certainly not a place that anybody would ever want to go to. In fact, I think one if one understands hell, they'll do everything necessary to make sure they are not going to hell and they will not go to hell. I say that to say this. I want us to look at the hell that Jesus described. Not hell, Michigan. But I want us to look at the hell that Jesus spoke of in the familiar story of the rich man in Luke chapter 16. And we see again that he certainly was not talking about a little town in Michigan. Look at it. And I want to point out three things from the story today about the rich man and say these things about hell. The first one is this. I want you to understand this morning that hell is an actual place. I want to say at the very beginning that hell is real. I want you to understand today that when I talk about hell, I'm not talking about a lie that has been created by theologians to frighten people into being saved. When I talk about hell, it is not, as some would say, a European concept used during the early days of Christianity to ensure the obedience of converts. When I talk about hell, I'm not talking about a myth. I'm not talking about a fairy tale. When I talk about hell, I'm talking about a place, a real place, an actual place. I'm talking about that which is real. In 1986, the USA Today poll, a USA Today poll said that 67% of American adults believe in hell. They found that less than 25% believe they will go there. Strangely, 25% believe that their friends will be there. In 1991, a U.S. News and World Report published a story entitled, Hell's Sober Comeback, in which it reported that belief in hell is on the rise. A poll, a poll that they took showed that more people believe in hell, believed in hell in 1991 than in the 1950s or even 10 years prior to 1991. But yet they found that most people like the Pope now think of hell as an anguished state of existence rather than a real place. Now, I would say this morning that I am thankful and glad that the belief in hell is on the rise. But at the same time, I must point out that hell is more than an anguished state of existence. Hell is a real place. And when I speak of hell, I speak of an actual place. But when I think about hell, I am aware, first of all, that there are the skeptics that deny the existence of hell. I know this morning that not everybody believes as I believe. And I know that not everybody would agree with what I am saying. There are those who do not believe in a literal hell. In the article by U.S. News and World Report, it found that even though the belief in hell was on the rise, it spoke of those who are quick to deny the existence of hell. 
The article quoted a professor, Stephen J. Patterson, of the Eden Theological Seminary in St. Louis as saying that a literal hell is, and I quote, a part of an understanding of the cosmos that just doesn't exist anymore, end quote. Professor Stephen reminds me that there are those who do not believe in hell. He is not alone. There are many that do not believe in a literal hell. May I share with you just a few other quotes? And for example, one said that hell fire is the riot of imaginative genius. Another said that the pulpit teaching about hell is an unauthorized accretion to the true doctrine and repugnant to reason. Another said that hell is a state and not a place. Another said that many of the terms describing hell are allegorical or metaphorical or poetical and they imply the spiritual state which is the antithesis of salvation. And they said that all such delineations as the blackness of darkness forever, perdition and the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone are purely fantastical and they deserve no attention. Another said, if punishment is to win the verdict of our best consciousness, it must be remedial. But I doubt, he said, very much whether any intelligent man or woman believes in a materialistic hell that is in a real raging fire in which people are eternally burned. The article in USA Today, USA, U.S. News and World Report stated that some scholars say that it should come as no surprise that modern educated Americans reject notions of a blazing underworld where anguished souls writhe in endless torment. If that is the case, I must classify myself this morning as being among the uneducated of America. For I do believe there is a hell. And I do believe that hell is an actual place. Even though infidelity hurls its anathemas against Christianity and modernism seeks to mutilate the Bible, I still believe that hell is an actual place. I still believe that hell is real. But you say, Brother Ken, why do you believe hell is real? I think, second of all, because there is a Savior who declared the existence of hell. There are the skeptics who deny the existence of hell, but I remind you, the Savior declared that there is a hell. Why do I believe there's a hell? Why do I believe that hell is an actual place? It is because Jesus himself said there is a hell. We read our Lord's words in verse 23 of our text. The Bible says in verse 23, Jesus said, And in hell he lift up his eyes. In the story of Luke 16, Jesus told of a man of abundant wealth that died. He described him in verse 19 as one that was clothed in purple and fine linen. He described him as one that fared sumptuously every day, but he died. And the Bible tells us that when this man died, that he went to a place called hell. Jesus said that he went to hell. And Jesus himself was declaring there is a hell. Jesus was describing a place that is called hell. Why do I believe there's a hell? I believe there's a hell because Jesus said there is a hell. In an article, in the article by U.S. News and World Report, one said that hell has become as, about as politically incorrect a concept as one can find. Well, I would say this morning that hell may be a politically incorrect subject, but it is a biblically correct subject. For Jesus himself repeatedly declared that there is a hell. 
Jesus did not use the word hell glibly in conversation, nor did he use it as a term of profanity. Jesus didn't coddle his generation by soft teaching on hell. No, he warned men of hell. He spoke of hell in all of its horror. He was never reluctant to declare that there is a hell. Why do I believe there's a hell? I believe there's a hell because Jesus said there is a hell. I have always appreciated the ministry of Hyman Appleman, who's with the Lord now, a converted Jewish lawyer who was a great evangelist in this country in the 40s and 50s. But he wrote a little booklet entitled, Hell, What Is It? And he says in the little booklet, he says, I know there is a hell, not because I was taught the fact in seminary. I know there is a hell, not because my denomination believes it. I know there is a hell, not because my people, the Orthodox Jews, have always believed it. I know there is a hell, not because all Orthodox fundamental Christians in all the world of every persuasion believe it. That is not enough, he says. Men may be mistaken. The best of them may be wrong. Men may devise a theory which spreads universally, but is wrong nevertheless. He said, I know there's a hell because God said so in his holy book. And I agree with Mr. Appleman. I know there's a hell. Why? This Bible says there is a hell. Jesus himself says there is a hell. I ran across the most fascinating webpage this week as I was doing some research and finding out what others might have to say about hell. I ran across a web page on which there is a poem written by Jerry Phillips. I don't know anything about Jerry Phillips. I don't know anything about his life, what he believes, or whatever there. And he has on his page a poem that he wrote. I do not know if it was a joke or if it was his conviction. But he has a poem on that page, on his web page, that's entitled, There Is No Hell. And he sets the poem to the music of the first Noel. In fact, there is a button you can click for the music to play in the background, the tune of the Christmas song, Christmas Carol, there, the first Noel. But listen to the poem that he wrote. He said, there is no hell, no judgment day. No matter what fundamentalists may say, no fiery pit, no suffering, no blame, no one to condemn and consign you to flame. And then the chorus, if you can imagine your mind, the tune, the first Noel, no hell, no hell, no hell, no hell. Sing and be joyful, there is no hell. Stanza 2, there is no sin, no Adam, no Eve, no serpent that talks as we're taught to believe. No Cain, no fall, no Cain, no ark, no flood, no Savior to save us when washed in his blood. And then again, the chorus, no hell, no hell, no hell, no hell. Sing and be joyful, there is no hell. Stanza three, there is no creed, no religion that's true, and it's time for believing in me and in you. We're all we have. With death, it all ends. Can't we work together and try to be friends? And once again, no hell, no hell, no hell, no hell. Sing and be joyful. There is no hell. And at the very bottom of the page, he has a little graphic that says, uh, the Baptist can go to hell, I'm going to Disneyland. I know nothing about Jerry Phillips, but I'd say to Mr. Phillips, I wish I could sing and be joyful that there is no hell.
I wish I could get up here this morning and tell you that God has shut down hell. I wish I could tell you there is no place called hell. But I want to remind you that death does not end at all, and hell is real, and hell is an actual place. And if I ever met Mr. Phillips, I would say to him, Sir, here's one Baptist that will not go to hell. Amen? Amen. But there is a hell. There is a hell. Hell is real. Hell is an actual place. But let me say something else about hell. Not only is hell an actual place, but when we look at the story in Luke 16, we see that hell is an awful place. Hell is an awful place. Jesus said there is a hell because he said in hell, this man lift up his eyes. But then Jesus began to describe what hell is, and he described it as an awful place. I'm sure that you're very familiar with the name Ted Turner. On many occasions, he has raised a few eyebrows. He has referred to abortion foes as bozos. He has spoke of Christianity as a religion of losers. But on one occasion, he told the Dallas Morning News, referring to Christ's death on the cross, he said, I don't want anybody to die for me. I've had a few drinks and a few girlfriends, and if that's going to put me in hell, then so be it. I would say this morning that if Ted Turner understood what kind of place hell is, he would change his tune very, very quickly. And he would be glad that someone had died for him. For you see, the place that Jesus described in Luke 16 is an awful place. For example, let me show you what I mean when I talk about being an awful place. For one thing, Jesus described hell as a frightful place. When he talked about the awfulness of hell, he described it as a frightful place. For you read the story, and you see how Jesus described the state of the rich man. He described the terrible conditions in which that rich man existed. He described the frightful state of the rich man. For example, in verse 23, Jesus said in hell, he lift up his eyes. Now notice this statement, being in torments. That particular word Jesus used on three different occasions in the Bible. And each time our Lord used it, it speaks of the agonizing pain that someone is in. Jesus talked about a place in which this rich man was in agonizing pain. He talked about a rich man being in torments. The kind of pain our Lord described as being experienced as hell, no morphine can relieve. No other drug can relieve this pain and torment. It is a pain and torment beyond imagination and description. He talked about a place of unutterable suffering. On other occasions, Jesus depicted hell as a place where men wail and gnash their teeth and where men gnaw their tongues because of the agonizing pain they endure. Indeed, hell is a frightful place. But secondly, Jesus described it as a fiery place. Jesus not only gave us a story, but he also allowed us to eavesdrop upon the rich men in hell. He not only told us about hell, he allowed us to see hell. He opened the door of hell and gave us just a faint glimpse into one man in hell. And as we eavesdrop on the rich men in hell, we hear him in verse 24. The Bible said he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. There are those who not only deny hell, but there are those and many in the religious circles that deny that hell is a place of literal fire. And I would say to you this morning that if you really want to know what hell's like, 
If you really want to know if there is fire in hell, then don't ask somebody that's never been there. Don't ask these knotheads who think they know everything about God and everything about eternity. Don't ask them. They've never been there. If you really want to know if hell is a literal place and there is a literal fire in hell, then ask somebody that has been there or rather somebody that is there. You don't know if there's fire in hell? Ask the rich man in Luke 16. Ask him, sir, is there a fire in hell? And listen to him. Hell is a flaming inferno. Hell is a fiery place. I have several books in my library by Charles Hodge, a respected Princeton theologian of another generation. And in his Systematic Theology, Volume 3, he writes, There seems no more reason for supposing that the fire spoken of in the Scripture is to be literal fire. And I would say, Mr. Hodge, in all due respect, I do not stand on the same platform or level that you stand upon, but in all due respect, sir, hell is a literal fire. The rich man himself testified that he was engulfed in flames. Hell is not only a frightful place, it is a fiery place. The Bible speaks of hell as being a furnace of fire. A place where the fire is not quenched. Hell is a frightful place. Hell is a fiery place. But thirdly, may I say that Jesus described hell as a final place. You see, as we eavesdrop on the rich man in hell, we not only hear the rich man, but we hear the voice of Abraham as well. And we hear Abraham said in verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fix, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. In other words, Abraham was saying to him that hell is a permanent place. Abraham was reminding him that there was no one that could come to his aid in hell. Abraham said there is a gulf, there is a barrier fix that prevents anyone from coming to your aid or prevents anyone from ever leaving hell. To put it in simple terms, Jesus was saying there is no escape from hell. The Bible is telling us that when you are in hell, you are in hell for eternity. Look at verse 23 again. Notice the statement there. And in hell he lift up his eyes. Read it again. Think carefully about what you read. In hell he lift up his eyes. Notice carefully that Jesus did not say that in hell he lifted past tense up his eyes. But in hell, he lifts up his eyes. Even at this very moment, as we enjoy the comforts of this nice, warm building, at this very moment, in hell, he lifts up his eyes. You see, hell is permanent. Hell is final. Hell is eternal. No lawyer can get you out of hell. No amount of money can purchase you an exit. No pleading can find you sympathy. There is no pardon for time served. Hell is forever. Hell is for eternity. Hell is permanent. Hell is final. I thought about this week, I thought this week about the statement in Revelation, they rest not day or night. There'll be no breaks in hell. They won't pull the switch on the inferno of hell and shut it down for a 30-minute recess. There'll be no breaks in hell. There'll be no rest in hell. Day and night, hell is, for et is, 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 is eternal. In short, hell is final. It's an awful place. It is an awful place. It is awful because it is a frightful place. It is a fiery place. It is a final place. Hell is real. Amen? Amen. It is an actual place. 
It is an awful place. But here's the third thing I want you to say, and I'm glad I can tell you this. Hell is not only an actual place, and hell is not only an awful place, but hell is an avoidable place. When I think about this rich man in hell, I'm mindful that the rich man in Luke 16 did not have to go to hell. The Bible tells us that hell enlarges itself daily. Hell is occupied by multitudes, but here's the simple truth. Not a person in hell had to go to hell. Let me explain. Notice in closing a, a couple of truths I point out in this story. You see two things about this story. One, notice that it's a story of two people. Now, I've been talking about the rich man. I've been pointing out what the, Jesus had to say about the rich man. But I want you to notice there's two people in the story. The rich man's not the only one in the story. There's another man in the story. His name is Lazarus. He's a poor beggar. We read in verse 20, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Jesus spoke about one that had plenty. He talked about another that lived in poverty. He spoke of one that was clothed in fine linen and one that was clothed in rags. He spoke of one that ate sumptuously. He spoke of another that ate only crumbs. He spoke of one that had everything, but he also spoke of one that had nothing. It's a story of two people. But not only is it a story of two people, it is also a story of two places. For we find that the rich man went to hell. But verse 22 said that the beggar died. Look at it, verse 22. The beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. You have two people in the story, a rich man, a beggar, but you have two places in the story. There is hell, but there is what we would call heaven. What you find in this story is that Jesus is teaching us that those who die lost go to hell, but you don't have to go to hell. Jesus is teaching us that when a person dies, they can go to one or two places. You can go to hell or you can go to heaven. Or to put it another way, Jesus is teaching us that when we die, we don't have to go to hell. Thank God there is an alternative. We can go to heaven. Now, you listen to me this morning. I'm a hillbilly and I know it. But I want you to understand something this morning. By the authority of this blessed old book today, there is a hell. It is an actual place. It is an awful place. But you don't have to go to hell. It is a, an avoidable place. The very one that gave us the story in Luke chapter 16 is the very one that can save us from hell and make heaven our eternal destiny. I don't know a whole lot, but I want to guarantee you one thing. I want to assure you of one thing I know. I know that heaven is my home. On April the 2nd, 1972, in the mountains of North Carolina, I knelt on my knees in an old-fashioned altar. Somebody took this Bible and showed me that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I called on him. He saved me. Heaven is my home. I'm not going to hell, and I thank God for that today. Hell is real, but you don't have to go to hell. I think of a story that I read. True story comes from the Delta section of our country story of a widow in her late 80s that was dying. The doctor had done all they could for her. So this lady had all of her children and all of her grandchildren and all of her great-grandchildren brought to her bedside. There was 53 of them in all. She prayed with each one of them. She kissed each one of them. 
And she said goodbye to each one of them individually, all 53 of them. And then she asked that everyone leave her room but her nine children. They all left. There's the mother and her nine children. And she asked her children to form a line at the foot of her bed. And she said to them, I want you to come by my bed one by one. I want to bless you and I want to say goodbye to you. The old mother was crying. The children were crying. It was, as you can imagine, a very emotional time for each one of them. The first son walked over to the, his mother's bed, dropped to his knees, bowing his head against his mother's body. She patted his head, prayed with him, lifted his face, kissed him, and then said, Good night, son. Good night. See you in the morning, darling. The second child came by, and then the third, and then the fourth, and then the fifth, and then the sixth, and then the seventh, and then the eighth. Finally, the last son came to her side. He was the only one of her children that was unsaved. And as he dropped her knees beside her bed, she tried to the best of her ability to raise herself up in a sitting position, but she didn't have the strength to do so. Finally, like the others, she pat him on the head, prayed with him, kissed him, and then said, Goodbye, son. Goodbye, son. The son got up off his knees and started to walk over and join the others, but then he suddenly stopped. And he turned and he walked back to her bedside and said, Mama, you didn't say it right. You didn't say it right to me. And the mother said, Son, what didn't I say right? He said, Mother, you said good night to the rest of them and that you would see them in the morning, but you said goodbye to me. Nothing but sheer force of her will, she raised herself up in a sitting position. And she extended her hands out to her son, and she said, Son, you're not saved. It is good night to them, see you in the morning, because they're saved. I shall see them again, but you're not saved. You're lost. And unless you get saved, it is goodbye. Well, the son's face turned red with rage, and he clenched his fist and started to say something, but he stopped himself. And he turned and started out of the room, and his hand was on the knob when the Spirit of God touched his heart. And he turned and he ran across the room and fell across his mother's bed sobbing, Mama, I don't, want to, I don't want it to be goodbye. Mama, I want to see you in the morning. Mama, tell me, what must I do? What must I do? And the old mother put her hands under his face and raised it until their faces were opposite of one another, and they were looking at each other, and she said, Son, it does not have to be goodbye. It can be good night if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus. He said, Mom, I do believe in Jesus. I've always believed in Jesus. And the old mother said, Son, will you then right now accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? The son cried out for God to save him. And there with his face in his mother's hands, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. The old mother laid back down on the bed. And then she took her son's hands in her own. And she said, Good night, son. Good night, darling. I'll see you in the morning. Are you listening to me today? There is a hell and there is a heaven. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to hell. It doesn't have to be goodbye, if I may use the words of the story. If you, can, if you will accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the heaven we talked about last Sunday morning can be your eternal home. But if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
I do not want to be judgmental, and I'm not just up here flapping my gums and trying to condemn you, but yet I want you to know that Jesus talked about a hell, and all of those who die lost without Christ that have never been saved, that is their eternal destiny. You don't have to go to hell. I don't have to go to hell. I'm going to heaven. You don't have to go to hell. Christ died so that you might be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. No one has to go to hell. Let's bow our heads for just a moment.